Using the notwithstanding clause to suspend workers' rights um, is wrong. I know that, that collective bargaining negotiations are sometimes difficult, but it has to happen. It has to be done in a respectful, thoughtful way at the bargaining table. Uh, the suspension of people's rights is something that you should only do in the most exceptional circumstances. And I really hope that uh, all politicians call out the uh, overuse of the notwithstanding clause to suspend people's rights and freedom. All righty, that's the Prime Minister. Somewhat hard to take him seriously on this issue, given his own government's uh, overreach is actually being investigated by an inquiry into the Emergencies Act right now. And also because... The Trudeau government has barely said anything on Quebec's premier using the very same notwithstanding clause numerous times, numerous times, to take the freedoms of Quebecers. But this time, the act is being used again by Premier Ford. This time, it's a preemptive strike. It's to Bigfoot QP's ability to challenge his government's anti-strike legislation and force the contract on this union. And he justified it this way. We've been at the table and we put a very fair offer and the union continues to charge ahead with a strike action that would affect this province this Friday. That means there'd be two million students sitting at home. Probably a million parents would be taking work off, Mr. Speaker. I want to be clear. We will never ever waver from our position that students remain in the class. There you go. So the whole idea is here to keep them in the class. But this is rattling the labor movement, which is uh, coming together in solidarity. Uh, La Una, a, a construction union that very much threw its support to Mr. Ford in the last election, is now supporting QP. And so here we are with kind of uh, uncharted territory, I think, in this country. Let me bring in Dr. Charles Smith. He's an associate professor in the Department of Political Science at St. Thomas More College in, uh, at the University of Saskatchewan. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, nice to be here. Well, you bring a particular expertise because you know all about, uh, you know, labor law and all the things I need to pick your brain about. And I think a lot of people would ask, let me just kind of kick it off the top here before we delve into it, is, you know, why have the clause? This is something that was put in uh, by uh, Trudeau Sr. Uh, to appease the provinces, but why put it in the charter if it's not to be used? So, if you look at the history of the construction of the Constitution back in 1981-82, the, the notwithstanding clause was a concession that the premiers of particularly Saskatchewan and Alberta had been mm. pushing for. I mean, what they were really concerned about at that time was that, that, you know, that a conservative court might rule on something that's, you know, sort of sacrosanct to those governments. So, for instance, Alan Blakeney, the premier of Saskatchewan at the time, was very concerned uh, that you know, a conservative judge or judges might rule that something like uh, collective rights, like healthcare, could be overturned by a conservative judge on the court, and he wanted to have the sort of option to protect certain collective freedoms that Canadians, or at least in that case, Saskatchewanians enjoy. So it was seen as kind of a, a response to a decision that might undermine a, a government from doing something that they've been doing for a while. So I think it's it was always seen as this sort of option that they would have in the most extraordinary of circumstances to preserve a collective right over an individual one. Uh, and that, that, I think, was something that they would see as rare and not done very often. And in fact, for most of Canadian history, we didn't see governments preemptively use it. Uh, and now we're starting to see it more normalized. So yeah. I think the concern is, is that having that, um, you know, is something that, you know, having that freedom to do something like that could become overused and, and exaggerated. And I would add that even someone like Prime Minister Brian Mulroney was very critical at the time of having this clause. I mean, he said something about, 
that the charter wasn't worth the paper it was written on because it had the section in it. So it was controversial even then. Yeah, I mean, uh, what's the point in having a charter if you're just going to keep poking holes into it? But here we are. And, and it seems, though, uh, Doctor, that we're very selective with our outrage because, you know, Quebec's premier's done it a whole bunch of times. And if the politicians, uh, you know, so worried about their votes, they just kind of ta- stand away from it and don't speak up to it. But, of course, it plays well here in Ontario for the prime minister to speak up. It's a big voting base for him. So we are, or politicians are very selective with their anger um, of how it's used. And I think we are. I mean, if you don't like the trucking convoys, you'll be happy the Emergencies Act was used. Um, If you're angry that the unions are going on strike, parents might be happy that the premier used it. But uh, fundamentally, it is an overreach. And where I see the premier, um, you know, going wrong here is that... he didn't have to use it because he could have just done what every other premier does, which is let them go on streak and then order them back. Yeah, I mean, I think the Emergencies Act and this issue are two different, very different things. But nevertheless, I would agree that we that the federal government and specifically the prime minister in this case hasn't spoken out against uh, the Quebec usage of it. And I think that's equally problematic. Mm-hmm. The Quebec usage is as problematic as this. I think I think we need to separate these two situations. So you've got. On the one hand, a back-to-work bill that governments of all political stripes have used at different times to strip workers of their ability to freely strike and thus undermining the collective bargaining process. I think we need to be critical of that. And then I think we also need to be critical of the fact that uh, in, in order to shield themselves of the unions or workers being able to litigate and try and find remedial relief, this the notwithstanding clause basically closes that avenue. So, you, you know, the, the government is able to use a legislative hammer to, to basically to end collective bargaining and a free society, workers should have the ability to freely withdraw their labor uh, and then to shield itself from any future litigation. And I think the government's heavy hand in both of those mm-hmm. cases deserves equal criticism. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, I, and where does it go from here? I mean, um, the labor movement doesn't generally take this kind of stuff sitting down, even if it's not their fight. They will unite behind uh, the cause if it's a greater good. I'm not sure Canada has a big enough labor movement, but they do have a loud labor movement. So where do you see this going? And it's a little late to pull it off the table because even just threatening it is, I think, uh, somewhat abusive with power. But where do you see the fight going from here? Yeah, it's a good question. And I I think you're right. The the labor movement has been substantially weakened in the last 30 years and is not the same labor movement we saw in the 1970s. And as you know, we could spend all day talking about that if you'd like, but Mm. nevertheless, um, you know, I do think they still continue to be one of the most important social movements in in Canada. They have a material base that others don't uh, and do speak up on issues that affect workers across the country. So I think that, you know, the, the larger labor movement, especially in Ontario where it's concentrated, I think we'll have to take this very seriously because every public sector union in Ontario right now has to be looking and seeing like their next round of bargaining uh, could face the same kind of a scrutiny from this government. And the other thing is remembering who these workers are. I mean, these are some of the most precarious workers in the education sector, um, overwhelmingly women uh, you know, membership, uh, you know, precarious in the sense that they're the lowest paid uh, in the sector. Um, I mean, they work, their workplace is the school system. I'm, I've always been curious to the government's argument that they want kids in school, but they don't seem to want to ask the next question, was what's the quality of education in the school if the workers are being treated like this? So I, I guess it's a, it's a big question, but... But in Ontario, this is an ongoing fight. I mean, labor issues have been a massive issue in Ontario since the Mike Harris days. We have not had any peace in this for for decades, as as you probably well know. Um, And the unions themselves, while the employees, I think, certainly in the union we're talking about now, who are some of the lowest paid, I think they're in the wrong union. I think, frankly, some of the ECEs should be in the teaching unions. But the education unions themselves are very, very powerful. And so they do wield a lot of power. And 
Whether or not Mr. Ford's using this to correct that power, I don't know. But there will be a fallout from this. Yeah, and I think the labor movement has to be watching that because the, the fines that have been imposed yeah. on this bill are very punitive. Like, I mean, $500,000 a day to the union and $4,000 per day for an individual striker is meant to deter any kind of job action. I mean, whether you, whether you support the union or not, I mean, we have to be concerned that the ability to withdraw your labor freely is being completely taken away from these workers. So what, what avenue do they have to construct a fair agreement? I mean, they've been bargaining zeros and you know ones for the last decade. I mean, they've fallen so far behind uh, the cost of living in your great city, which is great, but it's very expensive. Oh, it's not that great. In. Not that great. <laughs> well, it's it's overpriced like and it's crowded. <laughs> <laughs> but nevertheless, it's. I mean, I mean, these are the workers that have to live in the city and get to work. And I, I mean, we. I mean, I'm sure we could go on and on. But the, I mean, I guess the point is that without the ability to sit down at the table, and I mean, I don't understand why they're taking this week in advance. Why not bargain right up to the deadline? I mean, certainly that's the point of bargaining, right? Mm-hmm. To put pressure on. And without the ability to withdraw your labor, there's no threat to withdraw your labor. You can't really effectively bargain. So. I mean, I think if we if we care about the ability of workers to, to bargain and strike, um, this is a real problem because now we're saying the government will dictate and impose agreement. I mean, if you look at the bill, most of it is a very long agreement that's been imposed that the union and the workers themselves have rejected. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this is very problematic with regards to labor relations in, in Canada. Now, well, stay tuned. We'll see where it goes. I, I think they overplayed their hand on this one, but uh, maybe they know stuff that we don't know, but we will watch it. Very much appreciate you clarifying what is a very complex issue. Yeah, happy to talk. Uh, and please send the weather you're getting our way. It looks amazing. Yeah. No. <laughs> you can have our weather. I'll send you our traffic. How's that? Can you take our traffic? <laughs> you keep that. We yeah. only get, we all, the that. weather's all we've got. All right. Thanks a lot, doctor. <laughs> Okay, yeah, you bet. Bye-bye. That's uh, Dr. Charles Smith, who we will probably have on again, because I don't know where this is going. Either we get a little bit of, um, you know, everyone kind of coming together today and just getting this thing done, like maybe both sides will have a mea culpa moment. I don't know. Uh, or maybe this turns into a massive fight again. I just don't think it was necessary to pick this fight. Just legislate them back to work. And trust me, I'm one who, you know, is happy to take on the unions, because I think sometimes they do ask for too much. However... Uh, On this one, I think uh, he's bitten off more than he can chew.